0: Welcome to today's episode of the Metrics Measure Up podcast. Today, we're joined by Matt Hines, founder and president of Hines Marketing and host of the Sales Pipeline Radio podcast. Today, we'll be covering four main areas. First, today's B2B marketing strategy. How has it evolved over the years? Second, content and community. How to measure the business impact. Third, How do you measure the overall return on investment for B2B marketing programs in 2021 and beyond? And finally, sales pipeline or revenue, which is the best outcome measurement of a modern B2B marketer. Matt, thank you so much for being a guest on the Metrics to Measure podcast, and please give a brief background overview of your journey to being our guest.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure. My name is Matt Hines. I started Hines Marketing 13 years ago just with a laptop and a bus pass. And our focus is really on helping companies sort of figure out how to create more predictable pipeline from revenue responsible marketing teams, Uh, sort of getting out of the lumpiness of pipeline production that often happens from just random acts of marketing and sort of implementing a real systematic approach to revenue-responsible marketing that helps both sales and marketing teams work more closely together and generate more predictable, repeatable, and scalable pipeline in net new business.
0: Okay. So I heard some words that just rang so true with me, and that's predictable. And scalable, right? Pipeline. So you've been advising companies on how to build predictable, scalable, and high growth pipeline for almost 13 years, as you said. What have been two or three of the big changes you've seen over the last few years compared to when you started when it comes to strategy and tactics to build pipeline?
1: Yeah, a couple of things for sure. I would say one is just the increasing tightness of the collaboration between the sales and marketing teams. You know, it used to be you could have marketing working at the top of the funnel and sales working at the bottom of the funnel. And that may just still generally be the roles, but I see a collaboration, especially with complex sales cycles across every stage of the buying journey. So sales and marketing working much more closely at the top, middle, and bottom of the funnel. So that's one. I also see the use of data as significantly more important than it has been in the past. I think in the past, we were very transactional, especially in B2B for how we sort of managed, you know, leads and opportunities. We would wait for someone to raise their hand or say, okay, here's the right person at the right company. We're going to call and find out if they're interested today. And if they're not, we might call them next week or next month. The amount of data that is now available to us to give us insights into individuals and companies, to give us buying signals and intent signals, even if someone hasn't necessarily raised their hand, but is exhibiting behavior at the account or contact level inside and outside of your organization that tells you that. The situation is ripe for an engagement, is ripe for an outreach with some message. So that's two. And three, I would say, is this continued shift for many BDB organizations from having a lead orientation to their sales and marketing to an account orientation. And so thinking through the fact that you've got, you know, you, you can't email a building, you can't call an account. You have to talk to people, but there's some complexity in the way that those accounts operate. You know, there's typically a buying committee that has various roles in a decision-making process, and there's consensus building that has to happen internally amongst members of that buying committee to for the account to commit. So having an account orientation to coordinate that behavior, not only across members of that buying committee, but across your selling team, across sales and marketing, it gets complex really quickly. But we're seeing companies that embrace that and get their arms around it are seeing significant increases in not only the efficiency of their sales and marketing motions, but the velocity of the deals in their pipeline.
0: You said a couple of things, Matt, that we could do our whole 30-minute episode on, (laughs) but let me double-click on one of those to start with, and that is sales and marketing alignment. And we're not going to do a 30-minute show on that, but I'm actually seeing the friction between sales and marketing actually not get that much better in the last few years and now we're bringing in customer success because that customer expansion motion sometimes requires tight integration between marketing for customer marketing efforts, customer success, who often have the relationships yeah. and sales if they're responsible for closing. So yeah. can you give me any insights into the reality of that closer sales and marketing alignment?
1: Well, unfortunately, I agree with you that there's an increased level of importance around that connection between sales and marketing, but that increase in importance isn't being followed by action. And I would say, you know, we can sit back and we can talk about data, we can talk about account orientation, we can talk about commercial insights, all the different building blocks that together can make for, you know, more predictable, scalable, you know, pipeline programs. But if you don't solve the underlying issue of alignment between sales and marketing, which isn't just objectives, right? It's also, it's, it's culture. It's how the teams have perceived each other. I mean, in many organizations, and this isn't just a legacy issue with like older industrial blue blood industries, we see this in newer SaaS sort of up and coming companies where, you know, sales owns the number and marketing will talk nice about revenue responsibility at the sales kickoff, but there isn't true operational alignment. Like sales kickoff doesn't matter Tuesday morning when you're trying to hit your number. Sales kickoff doesn't matter in the last week of the month or quarter when sales is grinding it out, trying to hit their number, but marketing is at the bar celebrating that they hit their retweet goal. And I wish that was a joke, but it's a real story from a real company we work with. So like that, getting that cultural alignment, getting the teams to believe that they're actually in this together, getting them to use the same language and put action behind that language. I mean, Everyone wants to get right to like, let's just do some campaigns. I'll send out some emails. But if you don't fix that in those complex selling environments, you are going to continue to just hustle with inconsistent, lumpy results.
0: It's interesting you say that, Matt, because we go and we do a lot of KPI and metrics assessments and kind of helping companies just run what should those metrics be. And that includes not only at the top level, such as things like cat payback period or net revenue retention. Goals, revenue, retention, maybe customer lifetime value to CAC ratio. But then we look at the second level, departmental goals that have a causal relationship to this top level. And one of the best alignment vehicles we've found is when the head of marketing, head of sales, head of customer success, own and share the top line revenue goal of new ARR or expansion ARR. And they also all co-own net revenue retention well, you work with a lot of heads of marketing. What percentage of companies do you think the head of marketing says, my number one and number two measurements are revenue and pipeline and dollars?
1: Pretty small. I'd say it might be in the teens. And I guess it depends a little bit on how we sort of couch that, right? Because I think I hear a lot more CMOs using the right language to talk about the revenue impact of their work. You know, saying some version of, you know, what I want to measure are metrics you can buy a beer with, not just sort of clicks and likes and activity metrics. But the actions in their own scorecards, the actions and what you see in terms of behavior from their teams. Again, this goes back to culture, doesn't necessarily always follow suit consistently. So in many cases, I may have a CMO CMO that really gets it. But a CMO, that's new to an organization that has inherited a team where the marketing team really prioritizes what I would call the marketing of more, where more is better, more clicks, more emails, more campaigns, more web traffic. And depending on who you're selling to, more may not be better, more may be counterproductive to the numbers you're trying to hit. And this isn't just a marketing problem, right? I mean, we have taught as marketers, we have taught Our organizations, we have taught our boards, we have taught our investors to prioritize these up into the right charts that show more, more, more all the time. We need more leads, we need more leads, we need more leads. Maybe you don't, maybe you need better leads. Maybe you need a fraction of the leads you needed before, but you need them from the right organizations at the right time to increase the efficiency and throughput of the pipeline. Maybe you don't need leads at all. I mean, this is where I'm seeing some companies saying, like, they're eliminating forms. They're just throwing all the content out available to anyone that's interested, anyone that's qualified and short-term interested enough to access some of that content. And or they're, they're watching and measuring for signals out in the market that say some company is now exhibiting attributes, exhibiting behavior that indicates that they have a problem we can solve. So there's an engagement opportunity there at the top of the funnel that doesn't require waiting for someone to find you on search. It doesn't require waiting for them to fill out a form. There's a behavior there that happens at a very tactical level, even in marketing, for your digital marketing person to go beyond most possible leads, lowest possible cost to maybe the opposite, to maybe say, I am willing to now spend 4x on a lead that is in the market, that is in that 3 to 4% of the market based on Gartner data that says they're actively looking for a solution. Because that's what the organization wants. That's ultimately what the sales team wants, getting the organization culturally to accept That as the modus operandi moving forward, when we've taught them forever to value more and more MQLs, some cases that's a bit of a process. But the more companies, the more CMOs commit to making that culture change, the better everyone's going to be moving forward.
0: I agree with that. But these vanity metrics, which you can have quarterly dashboards and show to your executive team and show to the board, wow, but look at my number of MQLs or look at my number of content downloads, et cetera, which may or may not have a high correlation to revenue and pipeline growth. But at the same time, Matt, what I'm seeing, and I want to get your feedback on this. You know, we're spending a lot of time on attribution so marketing can get credit for those leads that do ultimately close. But a yep. lot of the best marketing programs today, things around social media presence and following content that really is where buyers go to get educated, or even communities like what GainSight built for the customer success. Ultimately, those are a huge impact on pipeline growth and company growth. But they're very hard to measure. So Mm -hmm. what do you think about, well, I don't know if I really want to spend too much on social media because I'm not going to be able to measure the return from an attribution perspective. Do you see that as a real barrier out there?
1: I see it as a conversation pretty consistently for sure. Just because you can't measure it doesn't mean it's not important. And I would argue, like I had someone tell me, I think it was Andy Crestedina at Orbit Media, who said there's an inverse correlation between the ease of being able to measure something and the importance it is in your marketing strategy, your pipeline. Like the things that matter most to us are the things that are harder to measure. Like when you want to understand, okay, you've got this complex sale. Let's not pretend the white paper download generated the eight figure sale, right? Let's not pretend that just because you scanned someone's badge last year that marketing gets credit for closing that big deal. It's a body of work. There's always going to be multiple touch points across multiple people in an account, especially a large account that's making a large purchase. So it's all those different things together. So how do you possibly create accurate accurate, complete weighting of all those different things that happen to understand what's working. You can't. And I would argue that you maybe never will because there's too many things to measure across platforms that happen in an offline format, etc. But just because you can't measure it precisely doesn't mean that's not the end game. Like If you understand fundamentally that to engage those big accounts, it's going to take that body of work. It's going to take all those things orchestrated together you can build a strategy to help orchestrate that behavior. You can build an execute a strategy with scale, with consistency across multiple named accounts to be able to have that multiple touch points, to be able to engage in that body of work. And so this is a situation where, I mean, I hope that we do continue to get better and better at, at trying to measure this, but the actions and the approach is more important than what you measure. And I'm seeing more and more CMOs Embrace that as their strategy and teach their executive teams and boards how to think about that from a strategy and an execution perspective.
0: Let's say, and by the way, I had this experience once. Let's say you have a new CMO comes in and they're saying, you know, I really want to build more thought leadership and educational content, but I don't want to gate it because I want to be able to amplify the reach and engagement with the target by an audience without requesting their email. So right. to gate or not to gate, Matt, what's your opinion?
1: I don't think it's a black and white thing. I think there are situations where a gate still can make sense, especially if there's something in it for a prospect. Like I'm totally fine. Like, especially like I think this is something that, you know, you guys do really, really well is to say, Hey, listen, I've got some benchmark data. Are you curious how you play against that? Are you curious where you stand against a lot of your peers? Would you like to see a report, you know, that shows exactly where you stand? Hey, you know, fill out this form, let us know where you're at, and then we'll email you a copy of that report. Right. So there's there's something in it for the prospect. There's a Reason there's a natural logical reason for them to share their contact information. On the other side of that coin, you know, if you've got a prospect that is really interested in learning more about a particular problem that is re- that is sort of charged with researching and figuring that out, if they're motivated to learn more about something, why would you put a barrier between them and that information? So I think, you know, the main reason many of us have done that in the past, and look, you go to our website, you're going to see forms, right? So we're still in the process of this transition as well. The main reason we have forms is because we want to track behavior. We want to know who did what so we can follow up. That is a seller problem, not a buyer problem. And I would posit that the more we can think about like what's in it for the buyer, how do we reduce friction for the buyer, for the prospect, for someone that is even in an early stage and still doing a little bit of research and discovering, you're going to increase the number of people that are qualified, educated, educated from your stuff, educated, informed, and ready to have an advanced conversation in the middle of the funnel. And that may happen sooner versus later if you give them free access to that content. So by giving up some control of knowing who did what immediately, You actually create greater velocity and greater quality of conversations in the middle of funnel of your organization. For those listening to this that maybe haven't made this transition, it sounds scary. I get it. I'm with you, and I can tell you that I have seen many, many companies rip off the bandaid and do this and see the impact. And it is a freeing thing, Ray, for marketing teams that all of a sudden realize like this isn't about filling out forms. This is about educating and mobilizing and creating urgency with a group of buyers.
0: It's interesting. So I think about podcasts are one of the, I think, great new marketing channels for a B2B SaaS or cloud vendor. And I'm starting to see more do it, but it's interesting for me, Matt, I did the podcast that you're on today, because I really wanted to be able to leverage my network and take the experience and ideas of the best and brightest people like you, the founders of LinkedIn, DocuSign, Marketo, et cetera, and share those. And 100% of my inbound leads that become customers comes from this podcast. So I'm just shocked. And that wasn't even really a goal of mine was to generate leads. So one of my questions I had for you was, you created the Sales Pipeline Radio podcast, what, almost six years ago, Matt? Can you tell me a little bit? So you're a real early adopter and thought leader here. What was the original vision behind the Sales Pipeline Radio show? And more importantly, why? Why did you end up doing
1: it? Yeah, great question. Well, so let me go a little further in the Wayback Machine. So I'm a journalist by trade. Like I don't have a business degree. I'm an accidental entrepreneur for sure. And I studied journalism and political science at the University of Washington, I was a reporter right out of school. And eventually, you know, made my downward spiral into PR and worked at Microsoft and some startups for a while. But like I'm saying this because, like, I'm a writer, right? I mean, I don't do a lot of things well, but I'm a writer. I was a trained writer. And one of the things I love about journalism schools, you don't, they don't teach just teach you how to write, they teach you how to tell stories. And so when I started my business, it literally just, you know, it was totally bootstrapped, just me and a laptop and a bus pass. I started a blog. I started a newsletter. I started to write about the things I thought about. So that really became my channel for growing the business. And then I think about six years ago, I have to give credit to Jim Obermeyer from the Sales Lead Management Association. He's largely retired now and enjoying time with his lovely wife up in Northern Washington State. But you know, he reached out and said, "Listen, you've got a platform. You've got a voice. Have you thought about doing something in audio format?" And I hadn't really to that point. Like I'm a writer. I'm not a radio guy. I'm a you know print journalism guy. But he really sort of he stuck with me and said, "I really think this." could work and the format ended up working pretty well you know and i asked you before we started recording you know are we doing video on this as well like as we record this it's early morning i still got kids getting ready for school upstairs i have a face for radio so podcast and the audio format works well for me but also like i found that it's a to your point it's a great format for having a variety of conversations and doing so in a way that sort of brings a level of energy that sometimes the written word doesn't allow for. I've also found that it's a great way to showcase other people. Like I mean our format's similar to yours. So we pick a you know someone out in the market and it's an interview format. And by being able to showcase authors, influencers, analysts, even inviting CMOs from companies that in many cases we want to do business with and saying, hey, come on and just talk about what you're doing well. Like we've got an audience of marketing leaders and CMO peers that are going to want to know what you're doing. It's a great way to build rapport with them as a guest, create some great content in the process. So in the whole, like the way we've kind of systematized sort of this weekly cadence of doing it, but it's been just a really fantastic addition to our content strategy. And I can I can cite many, many opportunities we've had as a business that have come directly from people that have been podcast listeners.
0: I have to ask, when you were coming up with the name, here you are, Heinz Marketing Agency, right? You called it Sales Pipeline. Was there thought about naming it something more marketing-centric versus Sales Pipeline?
1: Nope, nope. I think, you know, we are, unashamedly, we are marketing consultants, but we are on a mission to help marketing be more revenue-responsible. I think, you know, in B2B and B2C, like if in marketing, if you're focused ultimately on something that isn't a business metric, then what are you doing? Right. And so we called it sales pipeline radio because we wanted to reinforce what was important. A lot of marketing activity isn't directly about creating pipeline or creating closed business. It's a leading indicator of it, but there's a means and to an ends. And a big focus of our business with our clients is helping companies create more predictable pipeline, more predictable, repeatable, scalable pipeline. And so like, even just to think about operationally, like we get asked, like, you know, what are the most important marketing dashboards, you know, for for marketers to manage? I'm like, well, they're not in Marketo. They're not in your marketing system. They're in Salesforce. Like the CRM of Record for Your Sales Team is where you should be measuring the impact of your efforts, right? The output isn't about marketing. The output is sales pipeline. And that's why we intentionally put that name on there to really reinforce sort of the outcome importance of what marketing is producing, especially in B2B. Yeah, so I have
0: a hot take metric that I recommend to every CEO and CFO I work with, and I want to get your unabashed, candid feedback on that, is the marketing CAC ratio. Because every SaaS or cloud CEO and CFO have to present their overall CAC ratio to the board of directors and investors. And for those of you who aren't familiar with CAC ratio, you basically just take your total marketing and sales expenses and divide it by the dollars of ARR that you're generating, both new and expansion. And my metric for the CMO is the marketing CAC ratio. And I make it very simple. Take every dollar of marketing expense that you're investing and divide it by the dollars of new ARR that come directly from an inbound lead where the lead puts up their hand and says, I want to talk to a salesperson. So we get out of attribution, whether it's a MQL from a webinar series or a piece of content. So what do you think about marketing CAC ratio only being measured from inbound leads? People say, I want to talk to sales.
1: I mean, it's a start. Right. But I think it's probably incomplete. But I like the idea of marketing, thinking about overall acquisition costs versus individual campaign tactics like that is moving in the right direction. Right. Where instead of saying, well, you sent out an email, how much pipeline did that create? Or Oh, you did a LinkedIn campaign. Like what's your cost per lead? I mean, operationally, like we need to separate sort of our programmatic metrics from our impact metrics. And what I mean by that is, like, of course, like if I'm sending emails, of course I care about higher open rates and click rates. If I'm doing LinkedIn ads, of course I want to lower cost per lead off of LinkedIn. Like, you want to still operationally manage all those metrics, but at the end of the day, I don't care as much about those as as much as I care about the metrics rate that you just referenced. So if I can look at this body of work of how I'm managing engagements, of how I'm managing how to talk to people in certain target accounts, and if I can get my overall acquisition costs at or below what targets I've maybe set with my CFO and my sales counterpart, now we're cooking. Right, and so I think it allows you to say, "I am willing to spend more on certain channels to reach the right people." I'm willing to spend more. Like I can't tell you how many companies I've had, you know, discussions with where we're like, "Well, that direct mail package is too expensive. Like we would never spend that much money on a direct mail package." Well, what is it worth for you to get an engagement with one of your top 100 accounts? what is it worth for you to actually get a meeting for your sales team with one of their strategic accounts? Like, are we really going to argue about $3 on a direct mail piece versus getting those meetings? The outcome is not the response. The outcome is the action and the meeting and the destination, right? So I think looking at acquisition costs, looking at and then combining that even better, right? Combining that with the sales activity. So it's not just marketing cost, acquisition cost. It's a combined sales and marketing acquisition cost. So you can stack rank what's happening across channels to be most efficient and scalable moving forward.
0: It's interesting you say that, Matt, because one of the pieces of advice I would provide all our listening audience is you, you just raise whether it's 5 million or 20 million, depending on what stage, right? How do I allocate that? So Mm -hmm. there's always a, well, how much do I give to marketing versus sales? And then there's sales development now, right? And by the way, sales development is the number one source of pipeline for B2B SaaS companies on the aggregate. It's different by channel, by size of it, ACV, et cetera. So Mm -hmm. we say have a marketing CAC ratio, have a sales development CAC ratio, have a account-based sales ratio, and then have an overall sales CAC ratio for when they do their own outbound self-directed pipeline development. And then, of course, you have the overall CAC ratio for all four. But then, if you know for every dollar of input I put into marketing or I put into sales development, predictably, I'm going to get out whether it's $0.40 of ARR from an inbound marketing lead or $0.52 of new ARR from an outbound sales development driven one. It makes it easier to decide how to allocate that $5 million. And today, the way I see it being done, Matt, is, well, 70% goes to sales and 30% goes to marketing, right? There's no data or real science left behind how we're allocating budget. Would you agree with that or not?
1: Yeah, I love that train of thought. And I think that too often, you know, because we say, well, how would you use this money? And then all of a sudden, it just becomes a campaign plan. Like a marketer comes back and says, Well, with you know, if we had this amount of money, we could do this many trade shows. If we had this many money, we could do 50% more trade shows. And here's the lists we would buy, and here's all the campaigns we would run. It's like it just becomes like a shopping list, as opposed to saying, What is it gonna cost for us to acquire customers? Like, what are the aggregate activities that we're gonna put together and what is it worth for us? I mean, instead of starting at the top, which is the shopping list and the budget, start at the bottom, which is what you're willing to spend to acquire a customer, and it may change. Based on the stage of business, if you're venture capital back, still working on you know, figuring out product market fit, if you're trying to get your next round by getting validation, by getting some logos on board, what you're willing to spend to acquire a customer may be a significantly higher number. If all of a sudden you figured that out and now you've got private equity money, now I care about profitable growth. Now I need to prove to a potential exit buyer that I'm able to grow the business with some consistent EBITDA. Right. And so if if anyone listening, like you said, if you're if you're a marketer, if you're a marketing leader at a private equity based company, you don't understand EBITDA and the impact that has on your company's growth and success and exit figure it out. And even if you don't know, go and ask your CFO, say, listen, like, help me understand the metrics you think are important as we grow the business and look for our exit, like she'll be more than happy to share that with you. And that'll help you create a better strategy and approach to not only sort of how you're going to leverage the budget you have, but you're going to be able to make a better case and tell a far better story as you go ask for more budget for campaigns to help the company be successful.
0: I cannot believe it, Matt. We're already coming up to the end of this episode, but I want to finish this part of the podcast with the question. You've been out here doing it for 13 years hundreds of customers. What question didn't I ask you that you think every B2B cloud kind of CMO who's in our listening audience should be thinking about? What advice would you give them?
1: The, the question I would ask and the challenge I would give sort of CMOs is like, how do you increase your central value to the organization? not just as a coordinator of marketing campaigns. I have to give like Latney Conant and some other CMOs credit for sort of evangelizing this concept, not just of chief marketing officer, but the chief market officer. The idea that you are not just responsible for campaigns and driving pipeline, you're also responsible for understanding, measuring, and creating a strategy around your addressable market. What is that addressable market? Like if you're in the healthcare, your, your addressable market isn't everybody in healthcare. Like how is it? Like what's the difference between your addressable market and those companies that are in your ICP, your ideal customer profile? Like what makes up those companies that are more likely to engage because they have the problem? And how does that market definition and market scope change over time based on the number that the results you're trying to, to achieve and the numbers you're trying to hit? So I think that that concept of the chief market officer is a huge opportunity and a gateway for marketing leaders to play a more central role, leadership role in the marketing team beyond just running the marketing.
0: So being more strategic by being a chief market officer. I love it, Matt. So let's have the audience get to know you a little bit more on a personal basis by three quick questions. First one is, what CEO or company do you think is a must-follow today?
1: Oh, I would say like in the SaaS space, I really like, I'm following Drift, I'm following Pendo, I'm following Sixth Sense. You know, I think that the best companies today, look for companies that are obsessing about people and problems. That is the pivot that will always help you be successful. I think those that get a little too focused on product, a little too focused on what they are selling, that, there's an end game for that as the market shifts. But companies that are obsessing about providing value to people, focusing on customers and problems are those that are, that are most interesting to me right now.
0: Yeah. And I think for our audience that may not know those companies, we're really talking about conversational marketing, product analytics, and account-based marketing, right? Yep. Cool. Which tool, specific tool, do you think every SaaS company should be using in the marketing organization? Is there a specific tool?
1: Boy, I mean, there, there are categories of tools I think are becoming table stakes. I would say that there are, this is not something that is widely adopted today, but I think increasingly data intelligence is becoming important. And so there's a broader category of data intelligence, not just putting all your data into a single system, but having real intelligence and action based on that data that you're seeing across multiple sources. So yeah, Pendo is important, but I think you know everything you see in the outside market, everything happening within your product, everything happening across sales and marketing and customer actions, seeing all that in one place, being able to act on that and use the trends to impact go to market motions to impact content moving forward. We're seeing this more widely adopted right now in pockets. So we're seeing companies like PathFactory, you know, launch sort of content intelligence platforms that help us understand not just what people are looking at, but create trends and next steps and journeys on what we're seeing, not just what people are actually engaging, but how deeply they're engaging in certain topics. So that data intelligence side I think is going to become a huge category for sales and marketing moving forward.
0: Data intelligence. And third, what advice would you give to a recent college graduate who says, man, I really want to be a great chief marketing officer in the B2B SaaS or cloud industry. What advice would you give them right now as they begin their career journey?
1: I mean, the short answer is just to be a lifelong learner, just to no matter how far you get into your career, continue to learn, continue to listen, you know, focus on building out a productive network. And what that means by that is not collect contacts, but like really engage with people that are smarter than you that have been doing this for longer, figure out a way to provide value for them, but just continue to listen and learn from and surround yourself with those people. I would also also say that you will learn more by producing content around a topic. Like the best way to learn about a topic you don't know is to commit to create content around it. Some of the best authors I know like don't pick topics to write about because they're experts in it. They pick topics because they're super interested in it. They may know nothing about it, but the best way to learn about it is because they, okay, I'm going to have to write a 400 page book on this. So commit to publishing platforms, commit to regular engagement with smart people around you. Like literally make that a daily, weekly habit for the rest of your career and it will benefit you greatly.
0: That's great advice. So always be learning, be a lifelong learner, start building your networking, meaningful connections early in your career and create content and publish it and use it in areas that you're not aware of to continue your learning journey. Hey, Matt, this was a great discussion for me. And I really want to thank you for being a guest on the Metrics to Major Up podcast. Thank you.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me.
0: And to our listening audience, if you're enjoying the guests and the topics that we're discussing, it would mean the world to us to go ahead and subscribe to the Metrics to Measure Up podcast on your favorite podcast app. Go ahead and give us a five-star rating and provide us a comment on how we can make the show even better for guests and listeners just like you. Thanks, Matt. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's Metrics to Measure Up podcast. If you would like to learn more about B2B SaaS metrics and benchmarks, please visit RevOpsSquared.com.